Okay, thank you, thank you, thank you. You know, one of the, uh, also the high percentages were people who say they are believers, but they don't give thanks to God. And let's see, that was, um, if I remember, about 35% who did not on a regular basis, 32% who do not thank or worship God each day. I mean, I don't know how we can get out of bed in the morning without thanking God. But do you know what happens when we don't thank God? Let me tell you, it's been predicted. Let's see if this sounds familiar. Romans chapter 1. See if this sounds like anything we see today. It says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness because what may be known as of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Listen to this. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. What happens when we're not thankful? It's pride, isn't it? It's pride. I don't need to thank God. I'm okay. I got this, you know. He says, and this is the results of the people who refuse to thank God. Professing to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. Therefore, God also gave them up to uncleanness and the lust of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves, who exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. For this reason, God gave them up to vile passions, for even their women exchanged the natural use for what is against nature. Likewise, also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust for one another, men with men, committing what is shameful and, and receiving in themselves the penalty of the error which was due. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind to do things which are not fitting, being filled with unrighteousness. Sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness. They're whispers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful, who know the righteous judgment of God that those who practice such things are deserving of death. Not only do they practice them, but they approve others who do the same. Does that sound familiar? Does that sound like something we might be living in today in our nation? But you know, the incredible thing about God is that... Hi, Becky. She told me not to call her out. She's upstairs somewhere. I don't see her for the lights. She should know better than tell me not to call her out. There you are. It's good to see you. Everybody say hi to Becky. <laughs> She'll get me for that. <laughs> so, you know, and, and I just want to say, we were all part of that before. I don't care what you've been involved with, what you've done, what acts you've committed. It's all under the blood if you know Jesus is Lord. So don't ever let the enemy beat you up on that. Don't ever let him beat you up. Regardless, I mean, and there's not a one of us that doesn't have something we don't want to write about, right? <laughs> I'm sure. Maybe one or two. I don't know. But I haven't met them yet. <laughs> And then they have to worry about lying, right? But anyway, but I just want to encourage any of us, if we have been guilty of any of the stuff that, that has, you know, that I just read or that we've talked about, 
It's under the blood. God just, you know, he, he says your past is forgiven and forgotten. Today's a new day. Today is a new day. You don't have to worry about it. You don't have to stay in condemnation. And one other thing, remember, if you feel condemnation, it's the devil. God doesn't condemn. He convicts, right? Conviction brings hope. Condemnation brings guilt, shame, and death. So God is not a God who condemns. He's a God who convicts, and he only convicts to heal those areas in our life. So, uh, you know, God is so good. But tonight, today I want to talk about, you know, last week... Um, a couple of weeks ago, Pastor Zach had a word about uh, the Joshua generation, and we've read to you about the Lazarus generation. And but during uh, prayer Wednesday night, God just downloaded this message to me. It's going to be a two-parter, actually. This week I'm going to talk about Lazarus arise. Next week we're going to talk about Joshua arise. Okay? So I want to go with Lazarus first because we want to know why we need the Joshuas. And first thing I want to say is everyone in here is a Joshua. You're here. If you know if you know God, you're a Joshua, whether you're 20 or whether you're 60 or 70 or 80, whatever you might be. And you'll know why after next week. But there are lots of Lazaruses out there. And we're going to look at in John 11, but I, I just I want you to understand that there's Lazaruses waiting for you to bring them out. Every one of us contacts comes in contact with a Lazarus at some point during the week, some point. And let me tell you, God will put a light on so bright. I know in one of the groups that I'm doing, there's a couple of guys, and I know they're Lazarus. They're just waiting to come forth, and I'm calling their names. God, bring them out, bring them out, bring them out. You know why? Because I see those seeds of greatness that God has planted inside of them. I see here their hearts as they cry out. They want what's best for their lives. They want what's best for their family, and, and they want all of you know all that God has for them. And, and they're tired of the devil stealing from them. Stealing their children and stealing their marriage and stealing their finances. And see, God is just waiting for somebody to go in there, one of us, and call them out. We, we're going you know, to show you how to do that today. But I believe that there is a preparation taking place. I believe that there's a major, major uh, awakening that's coming. One of the pro- it's hot in here, hon. One of the pro- excuse me, one of the prophets even prophesied that as early as January we're going to start seeing the great awakening happening, the last final great awakening. Do some research on the revivals and reformations that have taken place in our nation. I was telling the prayer team last night. I was reading about the 1858 great revival with Charles Finney, and he made a comment. He said the presence of God just just blanketed the northern states. This was in 1858 blanketed the northern states but when they got to the the southern states where that evil of slavery was present the presence of god wasn't there see god's not going to give his presence where there's unrepented sin that's why we're calling for the nation to repent he's made it so easy for us there's so many blessings in the word of god and all we have to do is say god forgive me help me i need your help i don't know how to get out of this but you're going to help me anybody ever done that before I do it all the time. God, I don't know how to change this, but I know you do. And I'm repentant and I'm, I'm trusting you to bring me out of that place of, of loss and whatever that might be. But there's, there's, there are two groups. And, you know, there's, you know, we have this old saying. You've heard it for years. There's, there's a sinner or saint, saved or yanked. <laughs> you've heard that little saying. Well, I prefer to call them believers and pre-believers. Believers and pre-believers. If we look at people as a pre-believer, we have a different image of them than, oh, they're just an old sinner going to hell. No, they're pre-believers. They haven't yet been awakened to the love of God. You can't meet God and not fall in love with him. 
So the, the, the believers are those who have already entered into the promises. That's you guys here. If you've made Jesus Lord of your life, which I believe you all have. But then there are those pre-believers who are just waiting for the Joshua's to come into their life and help them walk across into the promised land. And I believe that the role of every believer is to be an ambassador for Christ. That's what 2 Corinthians 5 tells us, that we're to be an ambassador for Christ, representing him every day as we go out into the world. We carry the message of deliverance. We carry the message of healing. And see, the church is supposed to be going out doing the same works Jesus did. And you're supposed to be, you don't have to wait and say, well, come on church on Sunday morning, we're going to get that devil cast out of you. No, you do it there. Just do it on the job. You don't have to make a, se- a spectacle, but you know, you know, maybe during lunch. So let me meet you during lunch, and we'll just have a little exorcism. They don't know what you're doing. But you would start praying, and you start calling out those things. But you know what? God will begin to soften your heart towards people. He'll begin to show you and put a light on people. I want you to pray. I want you to focus on this person. And that might be your, your point of being where you are today is for that one person. Might be that, that whole purpose and you being at your job or in your school or wherever you might be is for that one purpose. And in the light of eternity, let me tell you, somebody spending eternity in hell or eternity with God, you know, he's had a vision of hell. It's not fun. It's not fun. Um, I was reading also about Lazarus and I, and I was kind of, what happened to Lazarus after he died? After he was resurrected, I mean, by Jesus. And one of, a couple of the reports said this. They said that the report is that Lazarus never smiled after he was resurrected. And the reason is, is because he, he went to hell during his four days and he felt like he had nothing to smile about because he would see the people who were doomed to hell. You think about that. But he should be smiling because of the power of God to keep them out of that, right? But I'm telling you, when you see, when you see what hell has in store for people, we had a, a, our, our very first pastor, before he was called into ministry, God took him into hell and he saw faces and he saw what was going on to him. It's a reality. It's a real place. But let me tell you, the, heaven is a wonderful place. Being with God for eternity is a wonderful thing to do and to experience. And that's our goal. If we love God, we should love people. Amen? So there is a preparation of those, you know, those nobodies, which is us. Joshua's were nobodies. And I'm going to talk about him more next week. But let me, you know, if you ever notice in the scripture, he just kind of pops on the scene. You don't really know a lot. I think it's, I think it's Exodus 17 where Moses just tells Joshua to go and fight against the Amalekites. So he just kind of pops on the scene. And then next thing you know, he's in the tent of meeting. And I don't want to give away next week's message, but, you know, he's a man that loved the presence of God. So I believe there's a lot of Joshua's right now that's in the place of meeting with God who are li- literally nobodies in the, you know, in the, in the church world. But God is preparing them to go and bring out those Lazaruses who are going to be somebodies to God. I believe that. But I believe there's, you know, whether you call them Joshua, whatever, there's always those who have a heart for the power and presence of God. You know, you think about Daniel. When he was told he couldn't pray, he says, I'll show you. He opens the window and starts praying out the window. See, there, that's the kind of spirit that we need. And, and there are those Josephs who've been falsely accused and thrown into prison. But what was God doing? God said, I sent a man ahead of you to save you from the famine. And then there's those Esthers who are the little orphan girls who were pulled out away from her, her family that loved her and put into a strange palace to become the queen because God had a plan for her. So many, many stories. But what are we being prepared? I believe there's a preparation for the next move of God if you're serious about God. I really believe that. 
I believe there's a preparation for the next move of God. And uh, if you look at, you know, I, I love Morris Murillo, and he's got a book called The Vessels of Fire and Glory. You need to get that book if you don't have it, Vessels of uh, Fire and Glory. And he actually identifies who these Lazaruses are. He actually, this is actually, Lazarus' generation has been spoken of for several years. This is not anything new. This is, I just want to tell you that. But this is what Marilla says. He says, who are the Lazaruses? Out of the graves in the inner city and on campus, the Lazarus generation will rise. Today they are in gangs, on drugs, or screaming for leftist revolution. Then in a way no man can take credit for, they will be struck by the resurrection power of Christ. Tomorrow they will be baptized in the Holy Spirit and will operate in frightening zeal. Let me, now this next sentence is very important. The Lazarus generation will find churches we know it today unbearable. See, I think God, what God is doing in the church world today, he's redefining the church. He's rearranging things. He is reorganizing what he's trying to get the church back to what it should look like biblically. And what we, and you know, if we, if the church had worked, all these statistics I read to you wouldn't be, wouldn't be true if the church had been working. We've got about 60 some percent of all of our young kids that are leaving the church every day. The millennials. So if church worked, we wouldn't be having these problems, right? There's something missing. There's something missing. And sometimes as church, we just want to give a lot of intellectual information. Well, let me tell you, intellectual information didn't change anybody. It takes the spirit of God and the power of God to connect with that word and bring, bring that word to life in our life. You know, anybody can, I mean, people, the devil can quote scripture, right? Didn't get him saved, right? A lot of people sit in churches all their lives and never get saved because they never come to know Jesus as their Lord and their Savior. They never come face to face with him. And he's calling every one of us. And there, these are the ones who may have never known Christ before today, before their encounter with you. These are the ones who may have known church but didn't necessarily like what they saw. You know, I have grandchildren that just don't have an interest in church. And they were raised in church, went to Christian school, the whole nine yards. Went to the biggest, best churches, supposedly. And a couple of them could just care less. They want the real thing. And they have good parents, by the way. But they want the real thing. But this is that generation who's tired of double standards and hypocrisy and the sterile, lifeless meetings. This is the generation who, who will make the nervous, uh, the religious people nervous. Because when they find God, they're going to be on fire. They're going to have so much zeal, so much energy, so much enthusiasm. All the religious crowds are going to get real nervous. Just like they did back in the early years of our own nation. When people started saying, you've got to be born again. Oh no, you've got to belong to the state church. Made people nervous. They might even get, they might even have... Uh, you know, have words thrown out about them. They might even be accused of falsely as some of these were. Their motivations might be questioned. But these are the ones who keep hearing the voice calling to them to come back, to wake up, to experience the power of God. And these are the forgotten ones who may even walk in shame today. But let me tell you, God's got dignity and honor for them tomorrow. He's got that. This is a group of the forgotten ones today. And these these are the ones that cannot be bought off by compromise. They're not going to compromise truth. Don't you love to be around somebody that won't compromise? They have a fight down deep inside of them that's just waiting and screaming to come alive, to be awakened. And see, that's our job as the Joshua people, to awaken that call, 
to speak life into them, to give them a purpose and a destiny, to let them know what God's really saying about them. But he also, Murillo also says there's a second group, which we're calling the Joshua generation. He calls it the prophetic core. And I want to tell you what he says about the prophetic core. This applies to all of us. Well, I'm going to say it applies. It should apply to all of us. You choose. The prophetic core wonders, feeling outside the mainstream. They have been ostracized for wanting revival. You know, I had somebody in this church 15 years ago say to me, I don't know why you're so excited. I don't know what you're so excited about. They didn't last long. But I don't know why you're so excited. We're excited because God was doing something. Signs, wonders, and miracles were happening. People were getting saved. Kids were on fire for God. That's what we were excited about. We're excited about what God is doing. But see, there's that old crowd that's going to hang out and say, I don't know what you're so excited about. Just sit down and be quiet and let's just do church. I I don't waste my time, do you? Wayne was talking about last time. I'm not wasting my time coming to a meeting that's dead. Right? And, And well, I'll just leave it at that. They have been punished for not getting with the slick programs. They have huddled together to pray and compare notes. They are starved for the fire, the glory, the presence of God. They feel helpless and forgotten, but in their weakness, they are being made strong. At the moment of power, the day of God's power, these two groups are going to collide. The core that yearns for revival doesn't know they're being forged to be fathers and mothers and brothers and sisters of resurrected Lazarus group youth and and adults. Listen to this. Only this radical core will understand from their own brokenness how to loose them and let them go. Because we have all ourselves been broken. We have all ourselves been set free. And when that happens, we know how to bring, we know how to bring freedom to people. And this is a group that has themselves been through it all, been through that despair, that, that disappointment. We were all once Lazaruses. Weren't we? We were all once Lazaruses. Maybe except for Becky. She was born saved. Becky Robbins I'm talking about. I don't know about Becky Hammond. <laughs> oh, but these, these are the ones that have an apostolic and prophetic vision. You know, they're just not satisfied with church as usual. They're not satisfied with, they're not satisfied with seeing things stay status quo. We've got to get outside the doors. We've got to change our city. You know, one of the things that was remarkable as I've been doing some studying on Reformation Revival, they said that the strange thing was every time there was a Reformation, every time there was a mass revival, the first thing they wanted to do was correct what was wrong in the prison, correct the government, you know, take care of the people that were sick. Immediately when they become born again and they fall in love with God, they want to take care of those other people that are being, you know, treated incorrectly or wrong or, or don't have what they need. So the gospel is a social gospel. It really is a social gospel because it's about people. It's all about people. And so, but there is that group that's been so marginalized by the mainstream church, but God is getting ready to release us too to do the work that he's called us to do. You know, some of you might think, well, I'm not ready. I'm still a Lazarus. No, you're not a Lazarus. You're just a baby Joshua. (laughs) You're just waiting. You just need to be discipled. You need to, and let me tell you, I love what Barbara Wintrouble used to say. She said, all you have to do to mentor someone is be one step ahead of them. That's all you have to do. Know one thing they don't know and you can mentor them. You know, and so if nothing else, you can mentor them on the love of God. You can mentor them on what God has done for you. How God has brought this blessing to your life, right, Kevin and Kelly? 
what God has, he's totally turned your life upside down. I love it. I love seeing those stories. So I want to look at John chapter 11. I'm just going to read through a few verses just quickly in and out of it. But I want to point out some things as we talk about it. Keep in mind, you're all Joshua's, okay? Everybody's a Joshua. If you're, not, if, you're, if you're still a Lazarus, we'll get those cloths off of you before the end of the service. But I don't think anybody here, I think, is still a Lazarus. Okay, Josh, uh, John 11, 1, verse through 6. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. Now keep in mind, Mary... She's the one that everybody wants to talk about how awesome and how intimate she was with Jesus and how much she loved God. And I mean, she just sat at his feet while Martha was doing, you know, Martha gets the bad rap, right? Martha gets the bad rap. Listen to this story. So the sister sent to him saying, Lord, we whom you love is ill. He whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God so that the son of God may be glorified through it. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two more days. Do we ever wonder about God's timing? God, I need you. Okay, I'll be there in a few days. But every one of us, every one of us has a Lazarus in our life. And it might be a brother, could be a sister. Like I said, it could be a co-worker. And, and they're trapped and they're bound up by life, by addictions, by failures, by disappointments, by their own mistakes. But they're simply being called out. And so what was the very first thing that had to happen before we could have a Lazarus is God has to point out someone to us. We have to pray. We have to go to Jesus and say, God, I've got somebody here who's a Lazarus. I've got so-and-so. I've got Johnny in my group. He's a Lazarus. God, I'm praying for him. I want you to come and I want you to call him out. I've got Sally. She's, in, I, she's my next door neighbor. God, she's a Lazarus, but I want you to I see those things that you put inside of her. I see the destiny you've planted in her. So we have to pray so that, number one, what started the process of Jesus coming was simply somebody reaching out to Jesus on behalf of someone else. Who are you praying for? I want you to get a prayer journal. I want you to start identifying people. God, Johnny is sick. He needs help. Johnny is sick. Sally is sick. Sally is ill. She needs help. Someone had to reach out to Jesus for every one of us. Every one of us. I say it all the time, and I think I said it a couple weeks ago, but it so bears repeating. The Lord came to me in two dreams. I didn't have the conventional come to church and have an altar call and go to the altar and get saved. He came to me in two dreams. Two consecutive, identical dreams, except one was black and white and the second one was color because the first one didn't shake me enough. And he allowed me to experience eternity without him. The hopelessness. I can't tell you what I felt. And I said, wow, i got to get my act together. And so about two days later, I was back running with the same old crowd again. Then about a couple of weeks later, the same dream. Vivid, vivid colors. See, God, see, God's arm is not shortened that he can't save. If there's nobody out there to call out that Lazarus, he's going to call that Lazarus out. And let me tell you, that was it for me. And God just began to orchestrate and set up things and set up events that led me to a place where I could learn and, and, and get to know what salvation in Jesus was all about. But we need to pray. And I want you to start identifying your Lazarus. And then verse 11 says, After saying these things, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus, talking to his disciples, has fallen asleep, but I'm going to go wake him up. And so the disciples said, Well, Lord, if he's fallen asleep, he's going to get up. He'll, be, he'll recover. Don't worry about it. But Jesus finally said, No, guys, he's dead. He's just dead. 
you know, and so, he, you know, I'm sure they thought, well, why didn't you go two days ago before he was dead? You know, why are you just hanging out, you know, here? But he said, but Jesus had a reason for doing that. And so Jesus goes to the tomb and he said, but I, for your sake, I'm glad I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. It's for the glory of God. So there's many Lazaruses that, that are asleep in our lives that we really need to, if you can pray anything, pray God as this Joshua generation, as this generation of, that's going to bring freedom and deliverance to people, open up my eyes to see all of those around me that need you, that need to come out of those grave clothes, that need to come out of that bondage, out of that addiction. And then uh, we, we know that we were all, all born dead, right? Except for Becky Robbins. We were all born dead. Ephesians 2, 1 and 6 says, Once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins. You used to live in sin just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil. Anybody, anybody can say amen to that? The commander of the powers in the unseen world, he is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. See, there's a, there's a power working against God's work, spirit. All of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. By our very nature, we were subject to God's anger. See, we were all Lazaruses, just like everyone else. But God is so rich in mercy, and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sin, he gave us life. When he raised Christ from the dead, it is only by God's grace that we have been saved. For he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realm because we are united with Christ. See, that same sin that I had, you had. And everyone has. But see, that same God that raised us up in his mercy brought life to us. Then back to verse 20. This is where Mary and Martha show what they really have. And so when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. She was probably pouting, I think. I don't know. Maybe she was pouting. Jesus is here. <laughs> okay, he should have come two days ago. My brother's dead. It's nothing to do. He's been four days in the tomb. And then it says, Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask God, he will give to you. So see, Martha, whoever, she gets the bad rap, even though she said he's dead. But I know I have faith and you can raise him from the dead. It says, and then, and, and Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. But then Mary comes. And where Jesus was and saw him. And this is what she said. Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. That's all she said. She didn't come back with, but I know that if you ask God, he can do anything for you. See, sometimes we can look at somebody and we can think, man, they got it all together. But, you know, they might be spending time soaking and all this. But are they really exercising their faith? And I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm taking a little bit of, of leniency here with this. But I believe that it's that, that final step of saying, God, I know. I don't care if they're dead, you can raise them. I don't care if they are in a gang, you can raise them. I don't, I don't care if they're hooked on heroin, you can raise them. Instead of just saying, well, they're too far gone. And let me tell you, that happened to me one time. I have a, a baby brother who I thought was too far gone. I even said to Terry, he's too far gone. Was at our house one Thanksgiving, was sleeping off a, you know, hangover or whatever they do. And I looked at him and my heart broke and I said, he's too far gone. And I felt my heart just, it just hurt. Well, do you know that several months later, Jesus found him in a jail cell and he totally delivered him with a little flyer. When I would try to send the, don't send your preacher to me. I don't want to talk to the preacher. But what happened? He needed to meet God. He didn't need to meet a preacher. 
And God sent, sent someone by, put a little flyer in his cell, and just like that, he was saved, delivered from drinking alcohol, got ordained, went back into the prisons, ministering to the lost, loves God today. See, that's what God will do. But see, me and my self-righteousness, I said, oh, he's too far gone. He's just too far gone. And that's what we do. We look at people. We look at these Lazaruses sometimes, and we look at maybe they got a, a, a legal record this long. Well, you know, maybe they've had all this, and maybe they've done horrific things. They're too far gone. God's not in, God is just as interested in them as a person who's never done anything. He's just as interested in them. And we can never look at someone and say that they're not worth God's grace and mercy. Because if we're not careful, it'll keep us from praying. Just like with Mary. See, she didn't go that extra step and said, but God, I know you can raise them like Martha did. I know you can raise them from the dead. Then verse 38 says, Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. And Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed, you'd see the glory of God? So they took away the stone and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I, I knew that you always hear me. But I said this on account of the people standing around that they may believe that you sent me. When he said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face unwrapped wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to him, them, unbind him and let him go. Do you see the power in this set of scriptures right here? See, Jesus begins to speak to the crowd. See, Jesus, the fir- you know, the first thing he said was roll away the stone, take away the stone. Let me jump over to Joshua chapter 5. As soon as I read that this week, and I've, thought about, I've read it many times, but I thought about Joshua chapter 5 in Gilgal. It says, For the people of Israel walked 40 years in the wilderness until all the nation, the men of war who came out of Egypt, perished because they did not obey the voice of the Lord. Who's that? That's all the Lazaruses, right? The Lord swore to them that he would not let them see the land that the Lord had sworn to their fathers to give us, a land flowing milk and honey. So it was their children being raised up in their place that Joshua circumcised. For they were uncircumcised because they had not been circumcised on the way. And circumcision is a, is a, a spiritual metaphor for that tearing away of that hard heart. And then it says, For they were uncircumcised because they had not been circumcised. And when the circumcision of the whole nation was finished, they remained in their place in the camp until they were healed. And the Lord said to Joshua, Today I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. And so the name of that place is called Gilgal. So immediate, Jesus is saying, roll away the stone. We've got to roll away the reproach, roll away the shame in our own eyes. We've got to quit looking at people with eyes of, you did this and you did that and you're not worthy and you're not good enough and I don't have time to mess with you. I don't have time for your problems. We've got to get rid of that if we're truly going to be a Joshua generation. We've got to roll away that, that stone that keeps people in their bondages, that keeps people labeled. Oh, they're just an old addict. I remember when Terry White came to Faith Covenant the first time and he met Pastor Robbins and, and he told Pastor Robbins, he said, I'm, I'm an addict. And Pastor said something along the line, well, what have you, when's the last time you used or drank or whatever? He's always oh, been several years. He said, quit calling yourself an addict. See, he was taking the label that someone else had given to him. And let me tell you, this works for everything. You might, the doctor might say you have sickness, but you say, I am the healed of God. That's what God says about you. 
You know, your, your bank account might say that you don't have a whole lot of money, but God said, now don't go spend what you don't have. I'm not saying be foolish. But God might say, I'm the God who supplies all of your need according to my riches. He's going to give you witty ideas and witty inventions on how to do things and how to make your family prosperous and successful. We've got to get rid of the labels. And that's what rolling away the stone is. They needed to roll away the stone of the label that, the label that Lazarus was dead. They needed to quit seeing Lazarus. Jesus didn't see him as dead. He saw him as a man coming out of that tomb. And that's how we have to see the people. That's how we have to see the people. And so every Lazarus needs to know that their reproach has been rolled away. Every person you see. Here again, we're not foolish. We're not going to be foolish. But we have, we, have to be, we have to be willing to have the heart of God towards people that are hurting And so in verse 38, it says, Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and I've already read that again. Take away the stone. Let me finish reading that. I want to get down to the bottom. He says, The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips, and his face wrapped with clothing. Jesus said, Unbind him and let him go. Number two, we've got to unbind them, and we've got to let them go. That word unbind means to loose any person or thing tied or fastened. You have a part to play in freeing people. You have a part to play. Many times people will say, well, just come on to church and we're going to put you through Luke 4, 18. Or we're going to get, the, you know, the, sometimes these people are never going to make it to church. So we have a part to play. That word unbind means to, to loose one bound, to release from bonds, to set free, to discharge from prison, to let go. It means to annul, to subvert, to deprive of authority, the enemy. You have to deprive the enemy of authority to have, to have rule and reign in that person's life. But we have to teach the people. We have to teach them. We have to demolish. We have to destroy. We have to overthrow. We have to teach them how to do away with this, this sentence, this label that the enemy has put on him. And then it's so we have to loose the Lazaruses that God brings into our life. That's why we need discipling ourselves. We need to know how to loose those Lazaruses. We need to know how to take authority. We need to know who we are in Christ. And if we can't walk in our authority, what can we do for someone else? If we can't walk in our authority that God has given. Let me tell you, the devil is underneath your feet if you'll let him be there. But if you let him not be there, he'll rule and reign in your life. You have to know who you are. He can't have your marriage. He can't have your children. He can't have your finances. He can't have your health unless you allow it. Unless you allow it. And then it was to let him go. He said, I want you to get rid of all the grave clothes and I want you to let him go. And that word let him go in Hebrew or in the the Greek means to change location to move along. In other words, when you unbind them, you begin to allow them to do what God has endowed them and empowered them to do. You know, and I believe in teaching, I believe in instruction. But let me tell you something. If a person's born again the first day, there's something they can do, I believe, for the kingdom of God. I've heard pastors say, well, you're going to sit in my church for a year before I let you do anything. You might make it two weeks here, you know, if you, if you should be on guard. Because let me tell you, God puts that thing inside of you, that fire, and you've got to do what you've been called to do. And people want to use their spiritual gifts. What happens when a person becomes a born-again believer, suddenly they become aware of all the gifts that God has. Why do you think these people in these Reformation times, they wanted to go out and, and fix the prisons and fix the hospitals and fix the schools? Because it's a gift that God placed inside of them. They want to go out and build godly kingdom businesses because it's a gift that God has placed inside of them. So we have to take them along by the hand and lead them and say, let's, let's let you serve the Lord the way God intended for you to serve the Lord. 
Maybe, maybe they have a gift for entrepreneurial businesses. Maybe they have a gift for teaching. Maybe they have a gift for, you know, for children. Maybe they have a gift for singing. Whatever it might be. See, we have to unbind them and then we have to let them go along the way to use the very gifts that God has placed inside of them instead of being so protective. One of the reasons we do that is because we're so jealous ourselves that somebody might get our spot. Can I have an amen on that one? Well, they got a better voice than I do. What happens if they come in and take over the worship team? Well, they're a better teacher than I am. What happens if they come in and everybody likes them more? Let them like them. What did Jesus say? He says, greater works will you do than I did. A tr- Let me give you one other thing. You'll hear this next week. A true mom and spiritual mom and dad always wants their children to excel beyond them. A true spiritual mom and dad. They're not intimidated. I mean, just like your own children. Don't you want your children to do better than you have done? In a lot of ways, yeah. So that should be the same thing with our spiritual sons and daughters. We want them to excel. We want them to exercise every gift, develop every gift that they have. And use those gifts. So we share the message of Christ. Jeremiah thirty seventeen, the Lord says, For I will restore health to you in your wounds. See, these are wounded people. I will heal, declares the Lord, because they have called you an outcast. Lazarus's, Lazarus's are outcasts that most people have rejected. Most people have rejected them. Luke four eighteen. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, and he has anointed me to, to be hope for the poor, freedom for the brokenhearted, new eyes for the blind, to preach to prisoners, you are set free. I have come to share the message of Jubilee, for the time of God's great acceptance has begun. That's the message we have. See, as believers in Christ, we have that same anointing inside of us. You know you have the message of hope for the poor? Now, this is not just somebody that can't buy groceries this week. This is someone who is so poor that they basically, if you don't give them water, they're going to die. If you, if, if you don't give them a, a, a piece of food, they're going to die. That's how, that's how poor they are. They're totally dependent upon someone else for help. That you have been anointed to free those who are brokenhearted. This literally means those who have been crushed and broken by life. You have been anointed to heal those people. And then it says those who have eyes who have, are blind... You have been anointed to bring revelation to people, to set them free through revelation of God. And then to preach to the prisoners, you are set free. That is those who have been robbed by the devil. Any blessing that you do not have that God promises in his word, you have been held captive by the enemy. And if that's healing, you're held captive. If it's prosperity, you're held captive. If it's relationships, you've been held captive. Because let me tell you, the the word of God promises all of these things. If you have children that aren't serving God, I tell the Lord all the time, you know what you said, me and my household will be saved. Great is the peace of my children. They're all taught of the Lord. You know what you said, Lord. And we just call him on the carpet for it, right? He says, call to my remembrance what I've said. So I come into agreement with that. I remember I was praying for one of my, and my kids are good. They're just not where I, I want them to be fanatical. You know, I want them to be Joshua's. And so I was praying the other day for one of them. And the Lord said, hey, I got this. I got this. I know he's so tired of me telling him how to do this thing. But he's, I got this, Donna. I, as I heard it so clear. I said, okay, God, I just thank you that you got it. You know? But it, a whole lot of peace comes on my life, right? <laughs> you know what I'm saying. You know what I mean. So you need to call forth. You, we need to learn how to call forth our Lazarus. So let's stand, if you will. And I'm going to pray this over you. First of all, if there are any, anyone in here who truly still is in your gray clothes, 
We're going to get you out of that right now. Maybe listening. If there's someone who really hasn't made Jesus the Lord of your life. Or if you're still not in victory on some things. Let me tell you, salvation is the opening of the door for the kingdom. The sanctification, the victorious life is a progressive thing. We learn how to live in victory. You know, we learn how to live in victory. It doesn't always just happen overnight. But let me tell you, everything you need is inside of you overnight just like that. When you've received Christ, you've got eternal life. You've got the power of God resident in you. There's nothing that you don't have in you that you need. And God's going to, Jesus wants to bring it forth. And that's why we need each other. We need the people to call forth these things, to help us out of these things. So I want you just to, just to close your eyes if, if this is you. And all you have to do is say, God, I recognize that I'm still in my grave clothes. I recognize, God, that I need someone to, to take away these grave clothes. I recognize, God, that I need you. I recognize, God, that I want the power of God living inside of me that you have ordained for me to have. To walk in that victorious life you have promised that I can walk in. Lord, that you said that I have a future and I, you have plans for my life. And it's a plan of great things, great future. God, that you have promised that what I put my hands to will prosper. God, that's the kind of life I want. I want the God Zoe kind of life. I want the life that walks victorious over the enemy. That I can resist the temptation to sin. That I can love you more than I love my sin. God, that's what I want. So God, I ask you to forgive me for all of my sin. Forgive me for all of my pride. Forgive me for my resistance, my stubbornness to you. And God, now I receive you as my Lord and Savior. I'm asking you, Lord, to be the Lord of my life. And Lord, I ask you to take me by the hand and walk me through the process, Lord of becoming that victorious Joshua that I need to be for someone else. So God, I thank you for it. In Jesus' name. See how easy that was? All it takes is a sincere heart praying. You know, we're taught so many times, well, you ask Jesus to come in your heart. That's not even in the Bible. Nowhere does it say you ask Jesus to come in your heart. It says you make Jesus Lord of your life. That's how you know you've been born again. You make Jesus the Lord of your life. You don't just say Jesus is in my heart. No, if he's in your heart, he's gonna, he should be leading and directing our lives, right? So we make him Lord of our life. Well, what if I mess up today? You, you just repent. God, 1 John 1, 9, forgive me. You know, I, I had this wrong attitude. Forgive me, God. I had a little pride show up. Forgive me. And so you said you would. Now I'm asking you to cleanse me from that. Cleanse me from all the demonization that has occurred because of allowing this sin to rule and reign in my life. So we want to call forth our Lazaruses now. Number one is we have to recognize the ones that Jesus is calling. Like I said, he's not going to call you. He's he's called to the whole world. But there's going to be those ones that he has specifically put in your pathway for you to touch, for you to be burdened about, for you to pray for. And maybe your first step is just praying. You put it right there, Nada, John, Sally, Susie, Frank, and you start praying. God, bring the perfect labor across John's path. That may not be you. Maybe someone else. Bring that perfect labor across Sally's path. God, open up their eyes to see truth. Open up their eyes to want you. See, that's all we do. So we, we want to recognize the one that Jesus is calling. And again, I want to say your family members are promised to you. So if you have, that's a good place to start is your family members. Because they're promised. They're promised to you. 
Number two is we want to pray for those that are still bound up and spiritually dead. So once he rec- we recognize it, we begin praying for them. That's all it is. He's just saying pray. Put them in, you know, Jesus, I want you to touch this person's life. Number three, roll away the stone. Count them worthy of your time. Count them worthy of your prayers. Count them worthy of your influence. And number four, we want to unbind them and let them go. Be a mentor to them. Be a spiritual mom and dad. Look outside of your comfort zone for those that maybe God is drawing you to. Look outside of your comfort zone. Lead them where they can they can go that they couldn't go without you. Take them to a place they can't go without you. And begin to speak into them the destiny that God has placed in their life. I believe with all my heart, God places every person in every person's life greatness, seeds of greatness. Now, we don't measure greatness spiritually like people, you know, in the world is measured by how much money you have in the bank. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the greatness God placed inside of you. Those things that that might keep you a no-name all of your life, but you know what? You're going to do great things for the kingdom. Nobody may not ever know, may not ever recognize, but you're going to do great things for the kingdom. God has placed greatness inside of you. And that don't allow your music to die inside of you. Don't allow the dreams and the visions that God has placed inside of you to die because you're still wrapped up or because some, someone has, has put a label on you. Get rid of that label. You know, Lazarus did have a choice. God called him. He said, Lazarus, come forth. I imagine Lazarus could have laid there. I don't know. I don't know. And there might be that we speak to some Lazarus and we might have to speak one time or ten times. We might have to pray for them a year or two years. But let me tell you something. God will touch their hearts. God will honor your prayer. So, Father, we thank you, Lord, for your presence today. I thank you, Father God. I just pray, Lord, for my own self. Show me the Lazaruses. Show me those, Lord, who are lost, who are bound up. And maybe they look like they're not. Maybe they look like just the person sitting next to me on the, on the seat here, Lord. Maybe they look like that person that has it all together. That successful business person or, or whoever it may be, Lord. Lord, open up our eyes to see the true Lazaruses that you want us to pray for, that you want us to involve our lives in, Lord. God, help us to be that Joshua generation that's going to take them by the hand, Lord, and pay the price. Give us that warrior spirit that we need, Lord, to move away that stone, to break off that bondage that that person is in, Father God. Give us the, the passion and the compassion, Lord, to stick to it. Lord, do not give up too soon because they don't do what we think they ought to do or look like they should look. God, I just thank you. I praise you, Father, for it. You know, I've told the story about Dominique several times. This is Naomi Dowdy, one of my mentors. She has a church over in, uh, uh, where is it, Indonesia. And Dominique came into her church, and he was a gang member and a drug addict. And so he came in, he got saved, and he was there for a while, then he disappeared. And Naomi would say, where is Dominique? And they'd say, he's out on the streets, go get him. They'd go out and get him, bring him back. He'd be there a while, he was moving on up, and next thing you know, caught up in it again, he'd go, where's Dominique? He's out in the streets, go get him, bring him in. So eventually, it came time, he, he got his act together, and it came time for Naomi to retire from that she travels the world now still ministering to leaders 
And she said there, she had 45 pastors on staff. That's how large her church was. And when it became known that she was seeking God for her replacement, she got all these notes saying, I really think I'm the one. Can you imagine that? I really think I'm the one, Naomi. And she was waiting on God. And she said, this is how she chose Dominic. Naomi's an avid golfer. And she said she'd go out on the golf course with Dominic when they'd have groups coming in. And said he would get out there. And, and Dominique was not a long ball hitter. If you're a golfer, you know what that means. you got to know your range. And she said he would, if, if the guest was a long ball hitter, he would try to hit the ball long. And he would mess up. He'd go wild, you know. And she'd say, Dominique, play your own game. Because, see, she knew he was the one. There's a timing on everything. Dominique, hit your own, play your own game. Next time they go out. Same thing. He'd get up and he'd try to hit the long ball. Dominique, play your own game. Two or three times went on by. Finally, they were out there playing one day. And Dominique played his game. And she said he's ready. And she made the decision that day. But what if she had stopped? What if she just said, nah, he's not going to make it. He's trying to play. He doesn't play his own game. He doesn't, you know, he's trying to impress people. She kept putting in effort and time and love and energy and prayer because she knew he was the one. Let me tell you, there's somebody that needs to walk in your footsteps. Don't get impatient with them. Love them. God will tell you who it is. God will point out people to you. God will send them your, your way. Don't ever get impatient with people. Allow them to develop. Allow them to become that beautiful butterfly that God has created them to become. And walk as he has planned for them to it's all about people. It's really all about people. It's not about church size. It's not about money in the bank. It's about people. And if we don't love people, we don't love God. We can say it all day long. If we don't love people, we don't love God. So, Lord, we thank you, Father, and we just pray blessing upon every person here, Father. I thank you, Lord, for the, the Lazaruses that you're going to be identifying in every one of our lives this week. I thank you, God, for divine revelation that you would download to us on how to best approach every person. God, there's a plan. There's a way. You waited two days before you went to your Lazarus. God, you might be telling us just to stand back and wait, to pray, to seek God. Father, I thank you for your wisdom. And, Father, I pray again blessing, favor, prosperity upon every person standing here today and watching by the Internet. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Be blessed. Have an awesome, awesome week.